0: Liberty down please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get them off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows it's don't get treated like a hoe
1: Today's episode is with Mikel Thorup of Expat Money Show. He has traveled the world. He basically picked up and became an expatriate from Canada about 20 years ago, has been to over 100 countries, and now professionally advises the wealthy and the not-so-wealthy on how to prepare or to implement their plans to have a, an escape strategy and for some people to actually implement it now. You may think to yourself, oh, I don't need this, or I don't have the resources to do this. I would highly encourage you not to to consider that viewpoint right now and listen before you make that decision. He has advice for high net worth individuals as well as smaller investors. And if you are the type of person who is a smaller investor who's trying to get to be a high net worth individual, you should check out our sponsor, the Daily Job Hunt newsletter. Go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up for the once daily newsletter for free called the Daily Job Hunt. It is an email newsletter that will give you some information, inspiration, and kicking your dick to get you going. All free. No excuses. This is the time, if you're losing your job, if you're not getting paid adequately for the work that you're doing, if you're just trying to earn more, enjoy your life more, whatever your goals are, this is your starting place. Again, go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt newsletter. You will not regret it. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to a special episode of Liberty Lockdown. Today, I have on the host of the Expat Money Show, someone who I've been wanting to talk to for a long time as someone who's been interested in expatriating for at least two years now. Uh, Mikhail Thorpe, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is uh, this is a necessary conversation. Uh, for those that don't know my background, uh, I was a private money mortgage broker that made a decent amount of money, retired, and then pursued my passion of screaming about the government for the past two years. And, uh, and who better to talk about... Um, what may be necessary ultimately, which is expatriation, if, if things get as bad as they potentially could. Um, so first off, if you could get just a little bit of your background so people understand who I'm talking to and why they should be paying attention. Ooh, do you want me
2: to do the whole story or just like the really quick 30-second elevator
1: pitch? No, go ahead and give me the whole story. I'm, I'm curious.
2: All right. Um, okay. So when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And I remember I was in grade three and the teacher pulled me out of class and sat me down in the little room and the principal and the resource teacher and vice president of price, um, uh, the whole bunch of faculty was there and they sat me down and they said, uh, Mikel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So Clint, that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took a little white bus across town and I went to this special school. Only problem was it was not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably Mm. imagine what happened. I got in a lot of fights. I got picked on and bullied and yeah. I mean, this is no, I'm a victim. Woe is me, woe is me. Like I gave as good as I got. There is no question about that. I got hit, I hit back. I'm not going to claim otherwise. But um, I went to the special school for three years and I absolutely hated it. It was like the worst experience in my life. Um, Government run education, uh, public education is an absolute nightmare. But never mind, I went, you know, I got through grade three, four, five, or uh, four, five, six, excuse me, and made it into grade seven. And I thought, wow, my friends are going to be missing me and they're going to be so excited to see me. And, you know, everything's going to be amazing. But then once again, you can kind of imagine what happened. I started getting picked on and made fun of. And oh, I remember Mikkel, he went to some retard school. Mm. 1980s, totally politically correct. Kids are very sensitive individuals. You know how they are. And, uh, And I decided I really didn't like school. So I stopped going. And then I'd fail. And then they'd send me to summer school. And then I'd fail that. And somehow they'd push me through. And then I'd fail the next year. And well, long story short, 12 years old, I stopped going to school. At 15, I officially dropped out and I started traveling internationally not long after that. And when I started traveling, I started meeting all these incredible people, all these amazing, amazing individuals. And I really realized like there's not only one way to learn something. Actually, there's many ways to learn things and experience and travel can be an education. Um Consequently, I believe this is also when I became a libertarian when I was about 12 years old. Even though I did not know what the word libertarian was, I knew that there were massive problems with the system and I had gone through them myself. Now, at this point, at almost 40 years old, I am very proud of myself that I dropped out when I was 12 years old. I think that that took a lot of courage to stand up and say that this is wrong. Um, Now, at the time, did I know what I was doing and I was going to be a champion for freedom? No. Like, hell no, I had no idea. I was just some kid who was upset and didn't like it. And, you know, I couldn't see the future by any means. But fast forward to today, um, I've been traveling for 21 years straight, I've dedicated my entire life to this. I have circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. I've lived in nine different countries. I've traveled to 106 countries, 107 countries in a couple of weeks. We're going to go to Aruba, which will be a brand new country for me. So I'm very excited. Um, From the personal side, and just to kind of put these in context so you guys understand how my life fits together internationally... From the personal side, I'm Canadian with Danish heritage, and my wife is from mainland China. I met her in Germany. We got married in Africa. My daughter was born in Abu Dhabi. My son was born in Brazil, and now we have a home in Panama, which is where I'm speaking to you from today. Wow. For a living, what I do is help Americans and Canadians go offshore, and we do this in a very tax-efficient manner, and we keep everything legal and compliant, but I am very much a hardcore libertarian, and I am actively going out there and finding ways to help people escape the system. So we deal with second residencies, second passports, um, structures like LLCs, IBCs, Trusts, foundations, I deal with private international vaulting companies, with crypto, with all of the tax strategies for, you know, helping people just to move offshore, but also in the right circumstances to renounce their US citizenship. So I work with the lawyers, I design a lot of the programs myself and the plans myself, and then I have the lawyers and the accountants do the legal work to stay compliant. So that's my not quite elevator pitch, but you 20 some odd 30 some odd years in uh in about four minutes <laughs> no that was
1: that was ter- terrific uh, what a life man i i mean that sounds like you've lived the dream to i mean for a lot of people that would be living the dream have you have you enjoyed it as much as i would imagine absolutely i am very blessed i am very fortunate
2: and very lucky um you know i can't say that I always felt that way, you know, dropping out of school and being told that there's something wrong with your brain as a child, you know, by the people who are supposed to protect you and, and care for you is kind of a messed up situation. So I did go through, um, difficulty getting over that it's been 20 years. I, I mean, I'm actually, like I said earlier, I'm very proud of myself right now for doing those types of things, but man, when I found traveling, when I was a teenager, it, I mean, I can't even say it changed my life. It, it is who I am. Like there is no Mikel Thorpe without traveling. Like everything in my life revolves around traveling and internationalization. I host a podcast about it. I wrote a number one bestselling book about it. I have a newsletter about it. I have a private group about it. I speak on stage about it. I mean, this is all and everything. And after 21 years, Clint, I'm still excited about it. I'm still so pumped <laughs> to talk to you about it today. Like I just, I, I love it, man. Like I, I mean, I know this sounds cliche, but I jump out of bed in the morning, so stoked that I get to help people starve the beast. Like this is, like this is my purpose in life. Like I'm actively going out there to try to find
1: ways to help people get out of paying taxes. I I absolutely love it. I mean, this is this is why I am so appreciative for my life as well, as I get to wake up every morning and talk to people like you that get to. You know, spread a message that hopefully will change lives, and it's just—it's so gratifying. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to have met another fellow traveler that that feels the same way about what they're doing because a lot of people wake up, and this has been part of my passion with my show is to to inform people that like you don't have to live a savage nine to five, you know, pay all your taxes and hate every every minute of it type of lifestyle. Um, and unfortunately, I have not had the courage to become an expat, but uh, I. Well, let's let's get into some of the details about um, some of the pitfalls and things like that. First, first question that came to mind as you were describing your life story: what What is the situation when you have these kids in different countries? Uh, do you do you have to get them citizenship wherever you actually end up residing? I don't even know how that works.
2: All right, so a lot to break down here. So we'll, the first time around, we were living in Abu Dhabi. So. Hmm. My wife and I lived there. I was there for eight years. My wife was in Doha in Qatar for three years and then six years in the UAE. So when we gave birth there, that wasn't really like birth tourism or anything. That was just, that was our life. Like we had a home there and I had my business there. It's a beautiful tax-free country, super safe. I just love my experience there. So that was normal. We went down to the women's hospital; it was called Bright Point, and they specialized just in giving birth. And the whole experience was fantastic. Now, my kids did not get a UAE passport because they do not give it on via the soil. I mean, they give it only on the nationality of the parents. So if I was an Emirati, then my child would be an Emirati. But I'm a Canadian, so my child was a Canadian. For Brazil, we did something a little bit different. So so my daughter is now uh, over five years old, and my son is about six, seven months old right now. So we flew down to Brazil with the purpose of giving birth in Brazil for birth tourism to get my child that passport. Now, because I... Because he is born on Brazilian soil, he's automatically a Brazilian citizen. Because I'm Canadian, he automatically is a Canadian citizen, as well as other ones from a personal side I won't get into. But those two I can mention. Mm -hmm. Now, because I am the legal guardian of a Brazilian citizen, I've now applied for what's called my family reunification visa, which allows me to get my permanent residency in Brazil. And if I live there for two years, then... I can also become a Brazilian citizen. So I can get a second passport and or a, another passport, I should say, through my son. And it's really interesting. Even my daughter can get it, but she has an even faster fast track, which is only 12 months in the country. Mm. So it's... Pretty amazing. I actually did a YouTube video about this on my channel. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash YouTube, you'll be able to see it there. We talked for 30, 40 minutes just on birth tourism. And I'd like to eventually write an entire special report or book on birth tourism because we would like to have another child maybe next year or maybe the following year. And we would like to do it in a third country. So I'm going to put all those experiences together, as well as a couple of my clients that I've helped go through this and friends of mine and really explain birth tourism, because I think it is an excellent opportunity to give your child an amazing gift.
1: Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, the, the other thing I, I thought of uh, as I, I've watched episodes of your show over the past couple of years as I became more interested in expatriating myself and I was like, God, I got to figure this stuff out. And I was like, who's the expert? I found him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, The thing that I, that struck me is that as I'm watching your show, it's, it's actually reinforcing why I hate the state, (laughs) (laughs) because it's so, it's so challenging to, to, you know, free yourself of the tax burden and citizenship and all sorts of, and you know, uh, exit, exit taxes and things like that. It's just, it's really excruciating. I, I don't think people really understand what a challenge it is to to do this. And I think that a lot of people probably think that it's much easier than it is. If you could give a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't know, backdrop or examples for this.
2: Sure. So, okay. So, all the time you'll hear, oh, if you don't like it here, well, then just leave. Right. Well, it doesn't exactly work like that. I mean, it's a lot more complicated. And the government really does not want you to leave, even though record number of Americans and, and Canadians are leaving, like they're mm. fleeing in droves. It's absolutely ridiculous right now what is happening. But um, there's, two ma- there's two countries in the world that have taxation based on your citizenship so worldwide taxation as a canadian it's quite easy i can give you the breakdown of how to get out of canadian taxes really easily it's file a form with the cra tell them that you're leaving go out there and get a foreign residency leave the country pay all appropriate taxes that are due and and go and that's it and now you're done and if you do it right and you're in a tax haven well then you pretty much have gotten rid of your taxes for life the us is considerably more complicated. So the US actually doesn't care if you're a resident or where you live or where the money is made or anything like that. They're going to tax you. They're going to come after you. So the two countries are Eritrea and the United States. And Eritrea is a small country in Africa, which is known for blatant, blatant human rights violations. So I will let you make up your own mind where that leaves the US and and how we should think about this. (laughs) But what would happen is you you move overseas and you can have a job abroad. You can be a, a consultant. You can have your own business. You can do Amazon, FBA, whatever these types of things. And even though you're not using the roads or the fire department or the police department back in the United States, they're still going to tax you and they're going to tax you on everything on every penny you make from everywhere in the world. So that's where, you know, strategies come in place. And that's where someone might want to work with someone like me. And we go through all of the different strategies on how we can legally, I'm going to stress this like 47 times in this interview, legally reduce or eliminate your tax bill. Because the idea is more freedom, not less freedom. I don't want any of my clients ending up in an orange jumpsuit. So I just want to be really clear about that but um yes. yeah it's it's a pretty abusive relationship with the IRS and with the US government um, and i try to help people get a divorce from them
1: yeah well i think that that was the stunning thing that i realized as i start watching these videos and you're you're talking about different countries and i'm just like i'm like god i i have to give up my citizenship like i i really would ha- like if i want to get away from paying the IRS to go bomb brown yeah, people all over there's some
2: some techniques we can do to re- bring it down considerably and it's always going to like it's who the person is like I really can't give any individual advice on here like first of, of all course. legally I can't I can't but I mean I can't because everything is completely tailor made when I work with someone like think about when you come to me for consultation calls what you're getting is a tailor made suit by a professional tailor with decades of experience or you go and read a blog article or just watch some random video and it's like going to Walmart and getting your clothes there, you know? So like there's a real difference on these types of things. So oh, I yeah. wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't say that you have to give up your U.S. citizenship, although we do help a lot of people because for their specific situation, it does make sense. But I wouldn't make a blanket statement like that. Does that make sense? Sure,
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the the reason I said it, though, is because as I'm as I'm watching it, uh, these different videos in different countries and it's like it just I just came to the conclusion. It seems like if I really want to stop entirely, it's probably going to be the case. But I, yeah. I, I get your point. And and to those that are listening right now, uh, if you if you become interested in this idea, uh, if you're like me, you're going to do your own research anyways. But let me save you some time. Just call him, okay? Just call him <laughs> and hire him. Uh, this is this really requires a level of expertise and legalese and all sorts of stuff that I'm telling you, it is it is really daunting, and it'll probably scare you from from actually you know taking the plunge if you don't have an advisor that you can trust. And and if you can get an advisor that you trust that also shares our you know political philosophy and things of that nature, all the better. Um, So I really hope you guys will check him out. Is there a a link for, or an email or some, some, you know, single point of contact that you would recommend people use for doing so? Yeah.
2: If you're a high net worth individual, then feel free to email me directly. It's Mikel at expatmoney.io. If you guys just want to subscribe to the podcast or, you know, subscribe to the newsletter. I mean, I do a ton of free content, which there's just so much stuff out there. You guys can go to expatmoneyshow.com. Or you can search Expat Money Show on your podcasting app. I mean, we've done, I don't know, 170 episodes of the show. I've had people like Grant Cardone on the show and Jim Rogers and Richard Mayberry and Doug Casey and lots of big names in the libertarian space and uh, in the alternative investment space. But yeah, I think that it's also really important that people understand. And, and I, I need to come out and say this right if, The bat. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a CPA. I work with the lawyers and CPAs. I mean, if you're listening at the beginning to my education background, I mean, I didn't go the traditional route through learning things. Instead, what I did was travel a lot for decades, then work a lot with mentors. Like most of my best friends are lawyers. So I work one on one with them. And then I read an obscene amount. And it's kind of funny because my quote unquote learning disability is a form of dyslexia. So I mean, it's really now in the 2020s, it, we know it's really not a big deal. And actually, there are certifiable billionaires who are dyslexic. There's nothing. So no, no big deal on that one. But I read, I don't know, at least 100 books a year on these types of things. Now, the biggest referral of clients to me, to where I get most of my clients, are from lawyers who can't do my work. So they take their clients, refer them to me. I consult with them. And Then I build a team around it and we put these things in place. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Oh, totally, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, credentialism aside, you're an expert, let's just be honest yeah. like, <laughs> you're an expert in this stuff. I, I don't think you could go to school and learn what you learned traveling the world for 20 years. So, um, yeah,
2: I made up my profession. You know, I'm like, this is what did. I like, I like money and I like living overseas. I'm going to create the expat money show. So it's like, it's like took my two biggest passions in life. And then there's a very strong vein of libertarian values that go through that. Like, I would never say, I wouldn't say we are a libertarian podcast because I don't know anything about the LP. And frankly, I don't care. Um, you know, and I think that people have their own ideas of what this word means for me, I believe in small or no government. I mean, probably if I were to classify myself, I'm an agorist um, or an ANCAP. And then, yeah, like, I just think that if we put all these labels on it, then people are going to have their own misconceptions about what that means. For me, it's... Smaller, no government. I mean, I live in a country that has no standing military. That's not by accident. I live in a country that has zero taxation. So I legally pay no taxes. I've been legally paying no taxes for the better part of 20 some odd years. Um, I Incredible. I always am trying to find ways to help people do the same type of thing.
1: Yeah. Well, is, uh, of all the places you've traveled is Panama. Did you end up there? because of the best tax treatment? Or is it a combination of multiple factors? Or what? I mean, you've seen so much of the planet, it it really makes me consider Panama strongly that you would choose that. So I'd like to know why.
2: Well, it, it is an endorsement for Panama. And, and I can tell you, okay, I'll tell you, first of all, what I liked about the UAE and why I left, because it was home. UAE felt like home. First of all, it is a tax free country in every sense of the world. There is no corporate tax, no capital gains tax, no income tax, no inheritance tax, no wealth tax, no tax of any kind. The only thing that they have is a 5% VAT, which only entered into effect, I think, the last year or A year and a half before I left. So we didn't even have that. But that's an optional tax. If you consume in the country, then you pay. Now you might think, oh, well, you know, do they have any facilities there? Is the country safe? Are the roads okay? I mean, it is the most beautiful country in the world. It is super safe. They have everything, they have all the natural resources are owned by the monarchy. So That gets distributed out to the people. They actually reinvest a lot of the money. It's not like some of the other countries in the GCC where they just take all of the money themselves and then you have people living in squalor and they're living large. I mean, everybody's living large unless you're like an Afghani construction worker, which is a whole other topic, which is pretty brutal. But most expats that are living there are doing very well for themselves. The salaries are about four times the amount. But what happened was um, I was actually quite concerned that the U.S. was going to invade Iran. So I left because of the U.S., because I didn't want to be party to that at all. We had military bases there. We saw the Sixth Armada entering into the Persian Gulf or the Arab Gulf, depending on which map you're reading. And I've been to Iran. I traveled there for a week and a half, two weeks, and I loved the country, and I thought the people were amazing. The history was out of this world. And the thought of dropping bombs on that literally made me sick to my stomach. So I needed to get away from this because if they were going to use this as a launching ground, like I didn't want anything to do with it. Fortunately, at this point in history, this has not happened yet. It doesn't mean that it will not happen in the future. I'm still keeping a very close eye on it, but the problems with the UAE is all the water is from desalination. So they, they, take the water, they desalinate it, they get all the salt out of it and they turn it into drinking water. So what happens if there is some type of a war? Well, that seems like a pretty clear target for them. That's a joke point. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's a bit scary, you know, and it gets up to about plus 55, plus 56 degrees Celsius. So I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's Really, really hot, hot. like, like <laughs> ridiculously hot in the summer months. The winter months are amazing. It's like the best weather ever. Um, they don't grow very much of their own food. So everything is imported from Italy and from France and from Tunisia and Egypt and these other countries on the Mediterranean. So those were a couple of the big reasons. The other one is that they're putting in the largest nuclear power plant in the world. It's actually 11 reactors that are going online at the same time. And I have a buddy of mine who sits on the board of directors for the nuclear power plants. And he was saying that at least 60% of the energy that is produced by these nuclear power plants is going to go straight to desalination as soon as they come online. So I'm like, wow, that is another massive military target if they engage in conflict Mm -hmm. with Iran. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is not looking good. So I relocated to Panama. Panama, we have, I mean, all the rain you would ever want. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) tons of fresh water. You can take a seed, you throw it in the ground, and tomorrow you have a tree that's like producing amazing tropical fruit. Um, There's no standing military here, so they're not going to invade anyone else. They have the Panama Canal, so it's protected not just from the US, but also from China. China doesn't want anything bad to happen here. And those two superpowers control a large portion of the world. So Panama is not really a target. You can think that maybe someone's going to want to disrupt stuff here, but it's so well-guarded, so well-protected, and it's so far away from everything else that we felt a lot safer here. And it is also a tax-free country, at least in the way that I do it the way that we set things up with my company, it is a completely tax-free country for you.
1: Can you give a little bit of explanation as to the challenges to get I mean because if you're gonna make this plunge, obviously you're going to want to try and get to a point of no taxation. I, I don't want you to give any specific advice but you know sure. just broadly.
2: Well, there's 40-some-odd tax havens around the world, quote-unquote tax havens. So the countries that you're going to want to look for are tax-free countries like the UAE in my story, but Oman, Bahrain... Uh, Qatar, Kuwait, these kind of countries in the GCC would definitely qualify. There are some other completely tax-free countries, but one level down is called a territorial tax system. So a territorial tax system, what they really care about is where the money is and not where you are, because we, we have to understand there's different sides to this. So as long as you are in the country and the money is being made outside of the country, as in your clients or your prospects or your job is outside of the country, they don't care. So if you're inside Panama, for example, and you're a barber or you wait tables or you have a little tienda, a little store or something, they're going to tax you. I mean, there's certainly tax on that. But if you're an Amazon FBA, drop shipper, consultant, uh, info biz, um, biz op, al- affiliate marketing. Right a job anywhere else in the world, and you're not signing to Panamanians, then Panama doesn't care. And this is not like, oh, it's kind of a gray zone or something. I'm like, no, this is black and white. It's in the constitution. You can read about it, how they tax people. I've sat down with, my, with the lawyers, with my friends. We've discussed it over many drinks on multiple occasions, from every different angle, they won't tax you. Yeah. So that takes care of in this example, Panama, but there are many countries like this, Costa Rica and Belize and some other countries in the world that you can go to. Panama also happens to be a USD economy. It is extraordinarily safe here. They have fantastic medical facilities. I mean, you're in Miami. I'm in Panama. The countries are, the the areas are so similar. If you're used to Miami, you come down here to Panama, you will fit right in. Like it's just
1: I've I've been actually. Okay, excellent. I agree. Yeah, it's it's basically the same. It's it's really crazy. I mean, it's obviously very far away uh, from U.S. mainland and from my family and friends, which is the hardest part. I I guess that's that's probably a big question people are having: is you know, is has it been hard to cut ties with people? Because I'd imagine you've you've had to. I mean, you've had to just kind of accept that this is your life: is that you're going to make friends and and uh, and you know fall in love and then have to move on to your next, next locale. Has that been a challenge at all?
2: Um, for me particularly, it has not been so much, but it's kind of difficult because I started traveling when I was in my mid teens. So at first it was just short trips, a month, three months. And I just kept building up, you know, I went to Ireland, England, and Wales was one of my first trips. And then I went back to Western Europe for four or five months and then I moved to the other side of Canada and then I hitchhiked and backpacked through Central and South America in 2003, 2003, 2004 for 18 months. So, I mean, like I kept building up and then I moved to New Zealand for a year and then I moved to Australia for three years and then I was in Singapore. For a year. So it was like, you know, it went from seeing my family every year to every two or three years to now, like maybe every five years. Um, I'm also very fortunate when my daughter was born, I called my mom and I asked her to move out to Abu Dhabi to help take care of my child. So my mom has been living in my house for over five years now to help care for her granddaughter and now her grandson as well. So, yes, we do have domestic help. We have a nanny and we have a cleaner and stuff like that. But I also have my mom here. To help, So my daughter is raised in the values that are important to me. And my mother is also very libertarian, especially when she started to learn about the ideas and the concepts of peace and prosperity. So yeah. it makes a big difference. You know, I haven't had to say goodbye to everybody, you know, and yeah. friends of mine come and visit. I mean, Panama is a beautiful destination. So it's like a revolving door of my buddies who are coming over to Panama <laughs> to come and see me. Like even guys I've known since I was in kindergarten are going to come. I have one friend, Adam, who's coming next year. And I've known him since I was like four years old and he comes visits. So
1: that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the other question will be for my libertarian audience, which leans more autistic. How do you uh, how do you make friends as you go around to different parts of the world? Because you know not everyone's uh, an extrovert. I mean, is it is there a, a trick to getting a community wherever you land?
2: Well, I think that's one of the things that I offer with my business, and it's one of the things that I'm really strong at is connecting people. So, for example, we're doing a huge Christmas party, and I've sent out emails to my entire database and invited my entire database to fly down to Panama to have a huge Christmas party. That's not about me. That's about everybody getting together. That's about growing the community. I have like 60 people flying in from all over the world to come and hang out and meet each other for Christmas. I mean, that's amazing. That we is. do regular meetups. We do conferences. We do webinars. We do all these types of things. We have a private Facebook group. It's at expatmoneyforum.com with like 4,000, more than 4,000 people there. And it's super lively. Lots of debates. And it's it's pretty funny. Imagine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been to, a, you know, I've been to
1: get... libertarian uh, events. I, I get it. Um, yeah. How many... What's the what's the average demographic of the person that you work with? Because like I've always felt as if I would probably be uh, too young to do this because most of the people that have enough resources to really make this plunge are, are oftentimes older and, and wealthier than I am. But um, what is the average age that you're working with?
2: Okay, well, I mean, the majority of my private clients are high net worth individuals. So they fall within that 2 and $10 million range. But that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that every one of my subscribers is at that level. And it doesn't mean that those are the only people who are going to get value. Actually, we try to help anybody and everybody through these types of things. But instead of one-on-one calls with me, it might be a special report or a book or a podcast episode. So I do put out as much stuff as possible. I would say that most of my private clients are 40 plus but I have lots of college kids who want to be digital nomads who message me and how do I start an online business? How do I remove myself from the situation? How do I structure my business with an LLC or an IBC in an offshore? How do I do my banking offshore so that things are a little bit more private? Because they want to set themselves up so that when they're in the future, they're already in a good position. So I get the whole gauntlet of the the whole gamut of, uh, of, of people, but, um,
1: I, I meant yeah, mostly the, Americans and Canadians Like like who, yeah. the people that have actually taken the plunge and done this. Are they, are they 40 to 50? Is that kind of the general range or is it? Yeah, older? I would
2: say that's a pretty good one. And then I do get some retirees, but the majority of the people who resonate with me are also parents. I mean, I run an, an international school with a business partner. It's called expat international school. It's, a a viable option for families. So I do a, a lot of work with that. I talk about my family, about the strategies with family, about, you know, my daughter speaks three languages about different languages and how your kids can learn language. So we're quite family centric. So I have a lot of people who have school age kids who follow my work. So that means they're not necessarily like 60 plus although there are lots it's kind of around you know 35 to maybe 45 or 35 to 50 years old yeah. probably the majority of my people and male and female not just men which yeah. i think is kind of unusual in this space uh usually it's more male dominated but because i talk so much about the family i have lots of females who follow me
1: fascinating yeah i mean that Uh, just so you understand why I started to look at your show and and discovered you was because I was I was strongly considering considering Puerto Rico. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, most of my income is sourced from trustees. You know, I was a private money mortgage broker. So I was lending against real estate. And the real estate was in the US. So basically, it seemed as if I wasn't going to get the the tax benefit that I had expected. Um, If I if I was in Panama, is that the same treatment that that the my income that's being derived in the US, if I don't, even if I were to renounce my citizenship, would I still pay taxes on those loans since I've, I funded them while I was a US citizen? I, I know this is getting very specific, but I,
2: I <laughs> we would have to look a lot closer at your situation, exactly how the money is coming in, what type of work you're doing now, from the sounds of it. um yours would be a little bit more difficult because some of the first tools that we deploy have to do with how you earn the income. So if it is earned income, if you're doing it with your hands or with your mind or something like that, then there's massive tax breaks. Now, if you're doing it with uh, interest payments or uh, capital gains or from CDs or something like this, then it's not going to work. So we would have to see how we could structure it. Now, if we can restructure it in a way where you're actively managing it and this is your full-time gig, then there might be a way that we can do it. Ah, As a side note, Puerto Rico gets a ton of attention. And in certain instances, it's very good. But in most instances, it sucks. At least when you compare it to the other things that we do. I mean, you might end up paying $15,000 a year in fees and donations Per person, so if you're a married couple, it could be thirty thousand dollars a year that you need to contribute. So it's like, oh, we got rid of taxes. Oh, but here's a thirty thousand dollar bill every single year. Yeah. And then you actually have to live in Puerto Rico, where I don't know. Maybe you don't want to live in Puerto Rico. Maybe you want to travel. Maybe you want to live all over the world. Maybe you want to be a digital nomad or be in a country, you know, for two months here, two months there, two months. I mean, there's so many different options. And we're actually able to do it where we get rid of all
1: of the taxes. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a powerful pitch. If anybody's got, got assets out there. And I mean, I guess the reason I'm, I'm asking for my specific case is because I, I just wanted to demonstrate to the audience how challenging it is. I mean, if you like you'll read about this stuff and, and as you get closer to actually taking the plunge, you start to realize like, Oh, there's, there's this issue. And then there's this issue. And it's just, it's very challenging, man. It, it's, I understand why you made a career out of it because it really does require a level of expertise. That if you're trying to still like run a business and and start a podcast or do something like that, it's very hard. It's very hard mm-hmm. to wrap your head around everything. Um, I wanted to ask you about your experiences traveling the the planet, and um, I'm curious because you know there's obviously with lockdowns and things like that, it's it's created an, another layer of statism that is kind of uh, enveloping the world. It has that. Put a uh, a dampener on your capacity to to go to these places, and and I guess any any additional feedback on you know what your experience has been uh, experiencing. I, I assume you've been in different countries during these past two years. What the difference has been in treatment from uh, different governments, and if there's any if there is any place that's been that's free on on Earth still, I would love to know.
2: <laughs> okay, well, I can certainly tell you that. As my travels, as time has progressed, things have gotten more difficult, not less difficult. I started traveling internationally in the year 2000. It was very simple. I could even enter the States with my birth certificate, with just a piece of paper, like no photo, no nothing. Now it's completely different. Um, And it's gotten worse since the Patriot Act and 9-11 and all of these types of things. Now, with all of these new lockdowns and... I mean, vaccines and quarantines and tests and PCRs and all of these types of things. It's a big hassle, but it is still possible in most cases. So during this pandemic type of time, I have traveled to the States, to Costa Rica, to Mexico, to Brazil, to Colombia. We're going to Aruba in a couple of weeks. Um, So I have had a chance to still travel Um, We spent six months in Brazil, it was wide open, I mean, like Mm -hmm. I had no problems with anything there, you saw some people that were wearing masks, but not very much, and now I was, we, we did fly into Rio, and it was beautiful and it was amazing time to see I'd been to Brazil like five times before but I was able to go to Christ the Redeemer and there was like 25 people there instead of 25,000 people there. (laughs) So it's like, I'm like video calling with my mates and stuff like, look around, like there's nobody here. It's all like... And, it, and that's not because of lockdowns. That's just because people are scared. I mean, just the mentality
1: of, course, of tourists yeah. has, well, I, has I changed. Mind, I mean, I, obviously, I would prefer people not be scared, but I wouldn't mind people just not being there of their own volition. It's, it's when the government imposes it that really starts to rub me the wrong way and why I started to really consider getting the hell out of America. And that's why I was yeah. curious if there are other places that treat you better.
2: Well, I had heard that in Rio, they did have some lockdowns and stuff, but I was in Florianopolis for... The six months. I mean, I was only in Rio for like five days or something. And it's the libertarian capital of Brazil. There's more libertarians there than anywhere else. And you might ask, how do I know this? Well, I'm friends with some very, very popular libertarian YouTubers. And they have, the, the one guy has over 600,000 followers and all his channel is completely in Portuguese. And he can see on his analytics where the majority of his listeners are. It's a small island of 500,000 people. And the highest concentration is there. And when I was there, I certainly met a lot of libertarians. They, like, we were going out for dinner and drinks almost every night. We were always meeting people and they all had their head on straight. So Brazil is a very, very good option for this. Yes, there were people who had masks and things like that. But that was about it. I mean, all the bars were heaving. People were out drinking. We were eating nice food um it's beautiful there it's very safe there super super safe super super cheap um their visa process is i mean there's a lot of bureaucracy with the government but to get a visa there you can pick up a property for 200,000 us which will allow you to get permanent residency there and then after a certain amount of years of living there you can apply for your citizenship So I'm fully set up there with the lawyers, the accountants, the property developers, everything like that. So I help my clients now relocate to Brazil, but I went down there and I tried it and I looked at it and I created videos and content about it. So I really understand what it's like, opposed to just someone who just read an article and decided they want to regurgitate someone else's work, which I'm noticing a lot of people are now doing these days, you know, like it's getting a bit frustrating. It's like, you're literally plagiarizing my work. Like, please yeah. stop it. You know, yeah.
1: it's gotta um, be frustrating. Well, it, that's I guess that's where I was headed with this, though, is um, especially for my audiences, because a lot of us are even though we're not anti-vax, many of us are opposed to the vaccine mandate mandatory standard. for sure. Yeah. yeah and ma- And many of us are refusing to get it because we want to stand with those that don't want to do it. Um, and many of us are quitting our jobs, and many of us are moving to different states to avoid these passports. I mean, we are we are really putting up a fight. Is it possible to to still travel with while not having a, a you know vaccine passport?
2: Yeah, so Brazil is a great example of this. They didn't require anything to go into the country, like it okay. was it was nothing. I think maybe I had to do a test or something. There's no quarantine, no vaccine passports, no nothing. Um, Mexico is another great option. They have been open the entire time. They're notoriously free. Now people say, oh, but the safety in Mexico. Okay, yeah, there are problems in Mexico, but it is mostly surrounding the US border. That is where the majority of the problems are. That happens because of an appetite for drugs in the US. And that's why these things arise. If you're going to some of the smaller towns and more rural places or even Mexico City, It's actually not so bad. I mean, I'm not going to say that Mexico was the safest place in the world, but if you have your head on straight and you do your due diligence and know where you're staying and stay in a good area and don't go out and get drunk at two o'clock in the morning and lip off to people who are bigger than you, well, then you're probably going to be okay. And. I mean, when I was there, there was no, there was nothing that needed to be done to enter Mexico. I don't know if things have changed now. They have lots of clients who are going back and forth. They have a retirement visa. They have investor visas. There are options to relocate there. And I well, think there's I'm, actually more Americans fleeing the states to enter Mexico than there are Mexicans entering the US. And that's true.
1: Yeah, that net outflow, which is not, not, not the norm for those that aren't familiar with the normal immigration patterns. Well, yep. uh, for for example, I, I will be going to Sayulita. Um, I think it's December 10th through the 12th to be at the Sayulita Super Spreader Event with Mark Clare, your friend. So uh, yep. that'll be that'll be interesting. Right, any chance yeah, you're and make James
2: it? Guzman and a couple of other buddies of mine that you'll see there
1: as well. So okay, nice, nice. Um, yeah, it's uh, so I'm, I'm going to go down and, and find out firsthand what these this uh, this experience is like to try and travel during the COVID hysteria. I'm curious, given your your background and your experience. What you think is happening? Because I, I mean, you're about my age. You have a very similar uh, outlook on life, and and I'm just my my thesis. I've gone full tinfoil hat Alex Jones on this stuff, and I'm like, I don't I, I don't understand. I mean, lizard this, people, lizard yeah, well, people. <laughs> sorry, not, <laughs> not not to that not to that extent, but um, you know, because you've traveled so much and uh, you you've got to see so many different um, government government systems and so many different people and And it just it just strikes me as an impossibility that this could have happened on a global scale with almost every country on earth having some level of serious totalitarian response to COVID. Um, Is it is it just coincidence? Did they all just follow the leader? What do you think? All right, I'll, I'll give you. I'll
2: break it down into two ways. I'll I'll tell you exactly what I think, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. And then I will give you some strategies which I think are very viable for people to put into place to protect themselves.
0: Perfect.
2: All right, here it is. And maybe this is tinfoil hat, I don't know. I believe that it is 100% on purpose that they're looking for civil war and they are trying to make things as bad as possible. And it's being done all over the world. What they want is war and they want people poor and fighting against each other. I think that they will be trying to remove the police On all levels, and they'll be bringing in the military, the military, the FBI, the CIA. These types of organizations are all done from top down. Police is done more rural and uh, more county by county or district by district, and it's a lot more difficult to to control them. I think that they're going to vilify the police, and they're going to get people to turn against them, and then they're going to bring in. The, the military. And wow. what they're trying to do with wokeism is control the military and make it acceptable for soldiers to shoot their own people. And I think it's 100% about control and power. I think it's absolutely disgusting. I don't think that it has anything to do with the virus or saving people or protecting people or anything like that. I think that they keep pushing the envelope to make things as bad as possible. It started with locking down people. From there, it went to vaccines, which for a virus that we know is not dangerous. I mean, a 99.997% survival rate, or I can't remember what, they are purposefully releasing information that it's not it's not dangerous. I mean, even the CDC is saying that they've, they've misquoted or they've made mistakes and things like that. That's not by accident. They're doing this on purpose because they want to piss people off and they want us to fight with one another. Interesting. That is 100% what I think is, is happening. Um, and the final straw is now making it mandatory to vaccinate your children. And they know that they push, 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 push. If it was really about um, just pure control, they wouldn't push so far so fast that's why i think that it's they want the situation inflamed that's why things like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial went all over mainstream media like there's still people out there who think that Kyle Rittenhouse killed three black men like they like they they're calling it race you know white supremacist i mean everyone he didn't kill black people i mean <laughs> like all. they 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 go look at the videos i yeah. mean go look at who was on, on the on the stand? I mean, yeah. he's
1: as white as white as white can be, and it's si- just sim- all si- simultaneously. They're suppressing the waukesha story, which is a black man running over five or six. I mean, running over sixty white people, killing six Jesus. of them. Did, did you hear about that?
2: No, I don't even know about that. So, oh my god. Jesus, well, there you go.
1: Yeah. So- no, I'm telling. This this happened about a week ago, and and the media has completely suppress the story they have described it as an accident <laughs> the guy ran up for 60 people and killed six, six zero six people. zero yeah. uh over 50 I, I don't know if it's exactly 60 but he yeah, ran but not through 16
2: a... this is unbelievable no, no.
1: yeah through a parade brother like he ran oh through God. a parade in a red suv it's unbelievable and That's and disgusting. they they suppress this narrative but then they pick up the rittenhouse story which is cl- i mean crystal clear on video multiple angles self-defense and they they hype that, and they call him all sorts of things. This yeah. other guy, this other guy who ran through sixty people, he has posts about you know he he commented on the the written house uh, you know result and how he was upset about it. He also had some anti-Semitic stuff in the past, and he also had Black Lives Matter support. Wow. And it's like I mean, it's a much more. I'm not even saying for sure he did it because of the written house result. I, I want to be very clear. I don't know. Yeah. But but it's just like they made all of these accusations about Rittenhouse and now they won't even talk about this guy. It's, it's just, so yeah, these are the things that I start to see too. And I go, man, are they trying to make me? They're trying to (laughs) make people mad, man. I
2: think that's what it is. I mean, and I've talked to, you know, my friends and people, you know, at dinner and online. And I mean, the more we dissect this, I'm a very logical person. I'm, I'm very well read, very well educated, just not traditional education.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: For me, this is the only thing that really makes sense. After studying this type of thing and watching what's happening, I think that they're purposefully trying to inflame the situation. So, okay, so what are the, what am I doing to actually help my clients? What am I doing to protect my family? This is what I see happening is that we're going to see massive walls being put up around the world. Now, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be countries. I think it's going to, come back to cultural and religion. So what I want to do and what I'm helping people to do is have assets and visas and legal rights on the other side of these walls. Mm -hmm. So for example, my wife is from mainland China. We own property there. We have bank accounts there. We have assets in China. We have, we're going to be doing citizenship in Turkey. We're buying a property in Turkey next year. So we will have bank accounts there. We'll have a safe place to live. We'll have the legal right to live and work there. I think that we're gonna see a massive resurgence of the Ottoman empire. I still have a lot of connections in the GCC, in the UAE. We are here in Panama. We still, we're now getting our permanent residency through what I talked about before, the family reunification visa in Brazil. Next year, we go to Ukraine. I'm speaking on stage for a conference there. We're going to be traveling extensively through Eastern Europe, we're going to go into Russia, we're going to be starting to set up things there. I think that we're going to see all these walls coming up, and it's going to be difficult to get on the other side of the wall once they're in place. Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to see a splintering of the internet. I think that Okay, we already know that China has their own internet and the rest of the world has something else. But Russia is in talks of having their own internet. I think that we'll see this in more and more places. So if you don't have the right to live leg- legally, work or reside in another country, that's going to become more difficult. If you don't have a bank account set up on the other side of the wall, it's going to become more difficult. If you don't have a place to live there, it's going to become even more difficult. So I think that we're going to see capital controls coming to the US, the ability to transfer US dollars outside of the country, or maybe you can do it, but it'll have a max of $10,000, the same as what you can travel on an aircraft with. Now you're not going to be able to send it overseas unless you have some special type of letter and permissions and things like that. But if you want to buy foreign real estate, it's going to be really difficult. So the point being, there are still some doors that are open right now, Clint, right now, as of today, as of this recording that are open, I encourage you, I encourage your listeners to take this shit seriously and go out there and actively try to do these things because In the future, when the door is closed, it's not going to be possible. And I will not be helping anyone to break the law. I told you before, I'm about more freedom, not less freedom. So I do everything in my power to help people legally set these things up in place. But these things are not retroactive. Like you can't go backwards in time to do it. It's like insurance. I mean, a second passport, a second residency is political insurance. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. Now, if we take the analogy of insurance and you have homeowners insurance or fire insurance and your house burns down. Like if it burns down on Monday, you can't go to the insurance company on Tuesday and say that you would like to buy insurance for yesterday. It's already happened. It's done. It's there. It's not possible. Well, when these walls come in place, it's going to be really hard to get all of this stuff set up. So you have to do it right now. And we're already seeing doors that are closing Panama had the best residency program in the year in the world. It went from having a five thousand dollar bank deposit, cash that sits there for a month, to a two hundred thousand dollar real estate investment. Imagine the oh. jump in the price. So, how many? I I helped like over a hundred families get this done uh,
1: to move down to Panama. I mean, that's a huge yeah. leap. Unbelievable. It's
2: a huge leap. Cyprus had a citizenship by investment program done. Canceled. Doesn't exist anymore. Um, Moldova had a citizenship by investment program. Finished. Portugal has a residency by investment program. At January 1st, you can now no longer do in Porto, the Algarves, or Lisbon, which is basically where everybody lives. So, If you want to go through the program, you need to go live out in the middle of nowhere in the countryside to qualify for this. Before you could live in downtown, a beautiful metropolitan city. You have Montenegro, which in a couple of weeks, their program is finished. Halas, done, no more. (laughs) So it's like all of these programs are closing down and we don't have a equal amount of um, programs that are opening up. Actually, there's no new programs that I know of that have opened up. Malaysia went from, last example, Malaysia went from a $2,000 bank deposit a month so you transfer in $2,000 a month to $10,000. So that just kind of wipes out all um, all uh, retirees or people who needed a cheap place to retire or social security or anything like that. Right. 10 grand a month to live in a developing country where the average income might be like 600 bucks or 800 bucks a month is ridiculous. Like it's, it's actively trying to push
1: people out. I was going to say it's an intentionally high bar. Intentional. It's intentional. They're basically getting rid of it entirely. Yeah. I mean, what's? uh, I I hate to put you on the spot, but what what's your timeline? I mean, what do you think before this actually gets to a point of like, okay, too late, brother?
2: (laughs) I think that every day that get goes by, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Um, I'm fortunate because I'm I'm a very well-to-do. I mean, that's not. That's not a secret by any means. Um, I've also been putting things in place in my life for decades. So I'm in a very good position, but I'm still out there actively putting more things in place like every day. So I'm researching, I'm trying things, what works, what doesn't work. But no matter when you're listening to this episode, I think that you should get started today. you know, because it's just, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse.
1: It is. I mean, it is. And I think this is why, I mean, this is probably why you're so passionate about what you do and why I'm so passionate about what I do is I think that you, you see the rising, you know, totalitarianism on a government by government international scale because of my background and, and being a money manager, I see the economic you know time bomb that's ticking and and the fact that these lockdowns have broken the supply chain and and they've created inflationary environments uh, across the entire planet and i mean we there is just it's so perilous man i mean it's just like on on so many levels i can't even i can't even like grasp it all you know and i and i pay attention to this stuff as much as probably anybody and i can't sure. even i can't even wrap my arms around it and be like because if I even if I try to, it's so scary. I don't want to. You know? I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, we have we have rising totalitarianism across the globe, as well as collapsing currencies and massive printing and no semblance of fiscal sanity to to be found basically anywhere. It seems like and and uh, record level debt. You know, hun- hundreds of trillions of debt globally, and it's just any. It just feels like anything could set this thing off.
2: Yeah. I well, I think that. I think that we will start to see enclaves in the world, which will have more freedom and like considerably more freedom. And I think that it will be important to support these types of things. I'll give you an example. So there is a program called Liberland. I am getting my citizenship there. Will will they ever settle the place? Will it come through? I don't know. But sure as hell, I want to support them. Yeah. I want to give my money. I want to talk about them. I want to support them. I I know the president. He's been on my podcast. I've had private phone calls with him. I video chatted with him while he's in Lieberland, like with his feet on the ground, splashing in the water on the, riv- on the, the Danube River. You know, yeah, I want to support amazing. this. I want to support Prospera in Honduras. I want to support these programs that are opening up. As strange as it may sound, I also think that Russia and old communist countries are going to have a lot more freedom. Now, if you had asked me five, 10 years ago about going to former communist countries for freedom to leave the US <laughs> and going to USSR for freedom, like I would have like, like laughed hysterically <laughs> at myself as you're doing right now. But as strange as it might sound, that is what is happening. I, I think that these countries will go, you know what? We don't want to do this anymore. We're already seeing a massive amount of trading done between Russia and China. It's not being done in US dollars. We're seeing these countries acquire a huge amount of gold and precious metals. They're energy sufficient. They have their own rules. They want to have their own internet. I mean, they're, they're putting back up the iron curtain. Yeah.
1: I mean, and they have min- minuscule debt compared to us. So uh, they're in an advantageous position for sure.
2: I have buddies who are in Saint Petersburg right now. They've they've been there for like a year now, and they says it's amazing. Like it's just like life is normal. I have friends who were traveling through Eastern Europe. I have tra- friends who were in Albania, Albania for God's sakes, and they're saying COVID did not touch the country. They never saw a mask. They never heard of a mask. Wow. People in Albania don't even know what COVID is. Like it's just, it's just nice, normal life there. And I didn't hear that from one person. I mean, I heard that from a half a dozen digital nomads who have been traveling through the Balkans and these countries wow. over the last two years. It's like that's pretty I wild. That,
1: I didn't know there was any place. Uh, I mean, the the uh, I had on Lord that's... Miles. Uh, I don't I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was that. That crazy UK tourist that went to Afghanistan during the the uh, fall of Kabul uh, over in August when <laughs> the Taliban took over Kabul as we were trying as the US was trying to leave. Um, anyways, yeah. this kid was a UK tourist and he just went there as a tourist during a, basically a civil war. Um, and he went Amazing. super vile. Yeah, I mean he's he's you want to talk about a digital nomad? This this kid's <laughs> out of his mind. Um, but he told me he he was talking to some of the Afghani's there. And, and he would ask them, like, how what's their experience been with COVID? And they're like, oh, COVID, yeah, I think I heard about that like a year ago. Yeah. Uh, what's going on with it? You know, like these, uh, there are, it's, it's funny because, you know, I'm so immersed in this topic, and particularly because it's such a passion of mine and it's so horrifying. And I'm so flooded with this propaganda 24-7 being an American and living here. Um, but yeah, there are still some places in, in the world that are, for whatever reason, dodging the indoctrination train. And that's why I'm so urgently looking for uh, escape valves. You know, just trying to have options. So you, whether or not you're going to hear from um, my listeners, which I think you're going to get a few, you're definitely going to hear from me, man. So I I really appreciate (laughs) your time. This is happy to help. Happy to. Yeah, this is a very, uh, very important moment for those that have the resources, and for those that don't, it's also an important time because this is when you should be doing everything in your power to put yourself in an advantageous position to try and take advantage of dual citizenship and things of this nature so that you have the capacity to flee if you need to. And there's nothing cowardly about not wanting to fight in a civil war, especially if it's amongst uh, two warring factions that have none of your interests in mind. Uh, So I really hope hope people will take his advice uh, to heart.
2: Yeah. I think that personal responsibility is extraordinarily important and you hundred percent cannot look to the government or anybody else. I mean, especially if you're a parent, if you're a mother or a father listening to this today, I mean, it's your responsibility to do something about this because they're as horrible as this sounds, they're coming for your kids, like legitimately yeah. and it's not going to get better. And yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say. Protect yourself. Well-
1: We'll end on that happy note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow.
2: Mikel the Downer. Thanks.
1: <laughs> Mikhail Thor thank you so much. Uh, everybody, please check out the Expat Money Show. It is really, really quality stuff. And and I really believe that um this is gonna be, I mean, clock's ticking, folks. Like I I, I know it's uh, I, I really don't want to scare the shit out of you, but I kind of do because I want you to take this seriously and I want you to get motivated to start to take these steps because. Um, if, you've, if you've been sitting on the sidelines or if you've been listening to me rant about this stuff for the past year and a half and you still haven't done anything to start to prepare, uh, do it today, okay? <laughs> do it today. Um, anything else well you'd said. like to leave the audience with? No, check out
2: the podcast at expatmoneyshow.com. If you guys want to grab my book, you can find it on Amazon. It's called Expat Secrets How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. Super humble title, Clint. I know I'm a very <laughs> humble guy. That's how I roll. Um, yeah, and hey, sign up marketing. for my daily newsletter, man. I write every single day as I'm traveling around the world, as I'm building a seven figure business in the offshore space I'm giving away a lot of value, a lot of helping a lot of people. And yeah, man, I'm, I'm talking about this stuff every day. So the information is out there. We're
1: doing a ton of exciting things and I'm here to help. Okay. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I think you're going to get a a lot of crossover because people that listen to me and know what I'm afraid of, you got a lot of the answers. So uh, prepare (laughs) for a few more listeners. Thank you again, man. Thanks so much. I want to thank you guys for tuning in as always. Got 20 more five-star reviews, but only one write-up, which is weird. If you guys want to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and leave an actual written review, I will read it, as I'm about to do now, and you get to say stupid, crazy shit like this. For instance, Cheddar Goblin says five stars. Give me liberty or give me head, winky face. Well, if you leave me a five-star review, I'm open to the latter. Just saying. So make sure you guys leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, because it really helps with the algos. You know what I'm saying? And then I get to say crazy stuff and you get to laugh about it Also, if you want to support the show uh, Obviously, I keep telling you about it But you can get a t-shirt over at Teespring Just search for Liberty Lockdown Uh, It's also in the description for this show Or you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com To become a supporting member of the show I should have on Jake Shields this week As well as James Lindsay and Josie Formerly the Redheaded Libertarian To do a panel discussion Which is going to be amazing Do not miss it. I'm
3: just putting out this short recording to encourage you, your best friend, your loved one, your lover, your other lover, because you're polyamorous, your worst enemy, your parents, your children, whoever the fuck you want, to come and hang out with me, the great Buck Johnson... From Counterflow podcast Mark Clear that legendary lion of Liberty and Robbie the fire Bernstein as well as <laughs> it's funny to say as well as because he organized the event Johnny Profita from Peddling Fiction Podcast and Liberty Lockdowns Cli Cly- 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 Cly. Sorry, Clint. Clint Russell, James Guzman from Borderless Blog, and COVID Jesus, aka The King of the Cocks, which I am certain is a hilarious in-joke that I don't get because I'm not cool or hip enough to be in the know. Where is this event taking place? When is this event taking place? Well, well, I'm glad you asked. It's happening in Salulita, Mexico. A veritable fucking paradise. You would have to be some kind of insane retard. Are we still allowed to say retard? You would have to be some kind of insane idiot to miss it. It's happening December 10th to 12th twenty twenty one. It is the Salulita Superspreader event. Come get COVID, you can recover later. Okay, how do you book your ticket? I hear you ask. Well, the URL's a little bit unwieldy, so I would encourage you to type Salulita Superspreader Event into Google and it will be the first link that comes up. Please come. It would be so great to get to hang out with you guys. I'm not allowed back in the USA because you need to be double vaxxed to get in. Since I'm certain that I'm already vaccine injured, you can understand why I'd be reluctant to get these injections. I have a tried to email my doctor to get a medical exemption and the motherfucker hasn't even emailed back. So I've emailed again. My dad printed out the fucking email and handed it into the clinic both times. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, please come to Mexico if you're free December 10th to 12th, 2021. Airline tickets are cheap. Oh yeah, I almost forgot if you use the promo code redbill, R-E-D-B-I-L-L, you know, like take the red pill, Red B-I-L-L, because I'm on the bill. That's why it's the red bill. I think R has to be capitalized. You will get a nice discount. Please come and hang out with me. I don't want to fucking be standing in the middle of Mexico on my own going, everyone came for Mark Clare and Buck Johnson and no one fucking likes me okay come down to Mexico hang out have a beer listen to some great speakers we're going to record some podcasts we're going to eat guacamole we're going to fucking have tacos and tostadas and I know it's a trigger word tacos burritos fucking salsa all sorts of shit it's going to be great i know it you know it everybody knows it salulita super spreader event to infinity
1: big shout out to everybody that's been with me since jump street appreciate y'all